This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with a great guest. He's a comedian, podcaster, filmmaker, and many other nouns. It's J. Elvis Weinstein. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks. It's good to be here. Always always good to see you. Yeah, good, really good to see I'll, you too. I'll try to put my sentences together so they aren't, don't have weird <laughs> gaps in them from, from the rest of the hour. It wouldn't be a podcast if there weren't some uh, weird gaps. Right. I got mine in right away when I said it's great to see you because <laughs> yes. I couldn't decide between good and great. I do that. Every podcast. I hope you settled on great. <laughs> I want to go to great, but then I suddenly had this moment. Uh, for a while, I was introducing all my guests as a, an awesome person because uh, I don't generally uh, invite people that I don't like. And then every comedian I had on were like, no, 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 you can't call me an awesome person. <laughs> that makes me uncomfortable. Even I know better. <laughs> I need to be neurotic. It will affect my brand if I just admit I'm an awesome person. Um, so you are uh, obviously a comedian. You're doing stand-up. Uh, I do. And you uh, are a writer. You have written many a thing. Many a thing, yes. Many a many, thing. Mostly television things. And you've got this podcast with Andy Kindler, right? I do. It's called Thought Spiral. And that's been going on how long? A uh, year and a half. year and a half? Yeah. Okay. Episode 81. Okay. Maybe. Are you enjoying uh, adventures in podcast land? Uh, it's week to week, but sure, yeah. of course I am. <laughs> uh, no, you know, I love Andy and we've, we've got like enough enthusiastic listeners who... Uh, interact with us to make it feel like we're not just shouting into the void and, yeah you know so it's been fun and I've, i'm actually kind of shocked at how much has just become part of our schedule now you know yeah i really had maybe a 50 50 hope that he and i could keep it on the rails <laughs> and uh so far so good it's yeah. working yeah it is a weird sensation to do uh the podcast it's taken me a long time to get used to it because i'm used to i work on a show and then I perform the show or record the show or I write a thing. Right. And then it, whatever happens to it, happens to it. And everything is project-based. Right. And now a podcast is sort of like, well, I'm going to do this until I die. Or my brain is put into a right. jar in which I will keep doing this. It's comparatively a factory job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, which I is had... what I found when I worked on talk shows, too. As oh, a writer. I bet. It was just like, oh, man, this... Punch in, you do your thing, it goes away, you start over. You know? Yeah, it immediately just uh, floats away into the into the breeze, right? Yes. Uh, and you've been doing documentary uh, filmmaking. I have. I've made a couple now. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell people about your most recent one? Uh, the most recent one and the one you can actually see is, <laughs> uh, it's called I Need You to Kill. And it's about uh, the stand-up scene, the emerging stand-up scene in Asia right now. And it's seen through the eyes of three really great American comics, Tom Segura, Chad Daniels, and Pete Lee. Uh, who go over on a tour there, and uh, I follow them along and then, you know, kind of dig into what's happening with the scene over there. That's kind of an interesting sort of expat-based but growing comedy scene. A lot, it's a lot like here in the 80s. It's, yeah. It, it, it's, it's a comedy boom where there's willing audiences and there's young comedians who aren't very good yet. But there aren't full time clubs yet, you yeah. know. There's like, but there's comedy nights, and they're big, and you know, and people are into it, and it's kind of, you know, we'll see how how it goes, you know. Yeah. Because we had a big bust after our boom here, and if they build it on a more solid foundation <laughs> yeah. of good comedy, um, and that's also a part of the movie is uh, Lewis Lee, who's the owner of Acme Comedy Club uh, Company in Minneapolis, who is a uh, a Hong Kong born immigrant himself. Um, 
part of it is him sort of talking and working with the club owners there and trying to warn them about what happens <laughs> when you just base a comedy scene around hack comedy, you know. You oh, know, right, it's, right. It's really, you know, he tries to really plant the idea that, no, you have to grow you have to grow the artists first and like, let people come to that. Otherwise they'll, they'll burn out talent and authentic voices and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I love this documentary. Well, it thank is you. So good. I feel like it is one of those uh, things that I mentioned on the podcast often, my, oh, uh, like universal <laughs> through the specific, like it is. So it's so a specific scene, a specific moment in time and geography but through that, it feels like so universally about stand up. Yeah. About, like, kinda, why, do, why does anybody do this at any time? Right. It was very much, I mean, I, it was, you know, I hate the phrase, but it was very much my love letter to stand up. And yeah. I really made it so that stand ups would watch it and not think it's bullshit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, that was important to me. Um, so it's not like, it's not a primer on stand up. I mean, it's, no. it's one level deeper than that. It's, you know, yeah. It's for, it's for comedy fans, you know? Yeah. And have you got, I don't mean to alienate people, but <laughs> nonetheless, you go know, go do a terrible open mic, then watch. I need to right. go. It's not a step by step how to become a comedian or anything like that no, or no. what it's like to be a comedian. It's, you just see it. You feel yeah. it. You know? Yeah. It's, it's a cautionary tale and a celebration. Is what <laughs> yes. I felt. <laughs> <laughs> and if that's not stand up, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about your, your obsession like everyone i email you offered me uh several options but i've yes. been trying to go with just people's first thing in their list because okay. i feel like that's pretty authentic and you said your obsession is with the movie sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club club band the movie the movie yeah the movie um yes and i th i think i chose this because i felt like you know when presenting that list this was like a piece of ground that i stand for fairly alone on <laughs> okay yeah you didn't have to go through all the past episodes and see if somebody else right, talked exactly. about this you figured like, probably not yeah uh, who would go on record yeah <laughs> who would commit to this uh, you are the brave soul who will um so I didn't get a chance to watch it. I read the mm. Wikipedia, so I had the, a little bit of the basics. When okay. I read the Wikipedia, I was really upset that I didn't have time to watch yeah. it. For people who don't know about this, can you give us like a, an overview of what this strange beast is? Uh, this strange beast is, I guess, what you'd call a jukebox, mu jukebox musical. Okay. Um, uh, based around the Beatles music, starring the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton. As the fictional Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. And no Beatles, right? Uh, no Beatles are in it or involved. However, George Martin did produce the soundtrack. Okay. Um, to give it that credibility. <laughs> um, and it's essentially a silent movie uh, in that none of, no one other than the narrator, who's played by George Burns, uh, speaks in the movie. Okay. It, so it is a combination of pantomime and Beatles songs. Um, and I read that that only George Burns spoke in yes. the Wikipedia. I was like, "That's not right. That yes. can't be right." But it the, is. The boys were in trouble. <laughs> Who would come to their aid? You know, here in Hotland, and he plays the mayor of Heartland, which okay. is the fictional town backlot set town. <laughs> uh, that that these characters, Billy Shears, played by Peter Frampton, okay, and then the Hendersons late of Pablo's Frankie's Fair, um, were played by the Bee Gees and uh, as three brothers, which, you know, even yeah. that they couldn't pull off. <laughs> and no um, one believed they were brothers. So 
Now, so it's a mess. The whole thing is a mess. Okay. And so it's based around the sort there's a story the the through line story is there was an original Sergeant Pepper who okay. was the hero of this town and he and he brought piece where he played with his band and they were like a brass band and we opened the movie with flashbacks on Sergeant Pepper in World War One and in, you know, in heroic <laughs> battle scenes. Okay. And upon his death uh, it, it bequeaths to, I guess, his nephew or grandson, Billy Shears, Peter Frampton, uh, the the mantle of of being oh. the leader of this official Pepperland okay. band <laughs> that is so beloved. Um, so they have they've Peter Peter Frampton and the BJ's they form this band to become the new Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. Uh, they're an immediate sensation, uh, both in the town and then word spreads and they're whisked off to to. 1977 disco era Hollywood okay. to be wooed by the record industry, but the big bad record industry, the right? big truly big bad industry. Okay. In fact, yeah, like yeah, played by <laughs> Donald Pleasance is the is the record. Blofeld is yes, the record completely okay. completely played as as evil, you know, <laughs> and all of this is just coke fueled, yeah. colorful bat, you know, disc, you know. Disco flavored shit. Because yeah. this movie comes from Robert Stigwood, who produced Saturday Night Fever, and he produced uh, the he he released the soundtrack to Grease okay. on RSO Records. Wow! Uh, and he was also the Bee Gees manager, and he was like, uh, and he was the manager of uh, of Andrew Lloyd Webber and 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 his partner who whose name escapes me at the okay. moment. Okay, Jesus Christ. Right? Yeah. yeah. He was he produced he was behind Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay. So he was this big guy and now he's and he's just had these big successes with essentially jukebox musicals. Yeah. You know, and he now has this formula. You put you pack a bunch of music into a into a into a thing and yeah. you sell a shit ton of soundtrack albums. Yeah. That breaks down here at Sgt. Pepper's <laughs> Um so now the evil people there's like a whole now at when the Bee Gees and Sergeant Pepper's band leaves Pepperland, not Pepperland, um Heartland? Heartland. Thank you. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I I'm, try. I'm not even listening to me. Um the all the magical instruments of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, which are housed in City Hall, are stolen by oh no. by baddies. Okay. Um and we find out that there's this evil plot going on by, led by the cryptically named FVB. Okay. And this uh, British actor, Frankie something, um, is the main bad guy, Mr. Mustard, for you Beatles fans <laughs> out there. Um, he's uh, he's distributing these these instruments to various villains within the FVB network. Okay. And so. Now are and and as these once these instruments are stolen, it's like the golden crystal from the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom okay. thing. Like just hardship befalls Heartland, and it becomes this <laughs> commercialized Mister Mustard piece of shit place. Okay, so it's just this magical a thing slum. keeping America in the happy shiny fifties, right. and then the right. dark horrible seventies invades Heartland. The wholesomeness is gone. Okay. Um. So now our heroes have to retrieve the instruments. Okay. And so they have to go to various to the various villains in the network to retrieve each instrument. So they go to uh, Steve Martin, who's playing Dr. Maxwell, 
who ha- has a silver hammer. <laughs> okay. Uh, and they have to retrieve one of the instruments from him, and then they go to Alice Cooper, who's Damn. who's programming the F- the FVB army of young people who are being poisoned by <laughs> by the FVB network. And then we find that FVB actually once uh, Peter Frampton's girlfriend Strawberry Fields is captured by the FVB people. Um, they're taken to the headquarters where, and we find out that the FVB is the future villain band. <laughs> and that's Aerosmith. Okay. And Aerosmith does come together while they try to brainwash Strawberry Fields into becoming a mindless groupie. Okay. So, and then there's a big, there's a big, uh, showdown. I don't know. What are we doing about spoilers? Oh, here? I think this is a spoiler welcome zone. Okay, good. Yeah. So, uh, so, Strawberry Fields in the struggle while the guys, break, they're doing come together. Our guys break in. There's a big fist fight battle with Aerosmith and the Bee Gees <laughs> and Peter Frampton. And only George Burns speaking. Uh, no, well, George Burns, it's not like constant narration. Okay. It's mostly pantomime to music. So he's not saying like, and then Peter Frampton no. punched Stephen it's, Tyler. Oof, pow. <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> Um, no, he's really connective tissue. Okay. He's not narrating throughout the scenes. Okay. They're, they're so well staged that you don't need narration. Well, it's a rock opera. Right. Um, or a pop opera, I guess. Yeah. Um, so Strawberry Fields gets killed. Oh no. She gets knocked off a giant platform that Aerosmith is performing on. That's, I think, made of giant, uh, coin, like a pile of coins oh, to re- represent, represent money. money. Yes. Yes. Which is evil. The filthy lucre band. Yes. Yeah. So she gets knocked off. Everything stops. Everyone's stunned. We cut to... Um, there's a lot of songs that have happened along the way yeah. here. I'm really, I'm really paring <laughs> this down. Um, big funeral scene. Heartland is now all cleaned up. Um, Strawberry Fields is in a glass coffin. Okay. As we do Golden Slumbers. As and and break into um, um, oh, what's the song? Uh, I love to turn a day in the life. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get you into copyright issues. So <laughs> I'm only do seven seconds yeah, just, or less just, yeah, of yeah, everything. Yeah. Um. So as as at the climax of Day in the Life, where bah, 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 we see Peter Frampton on the roof, so distraught from the death. <gasps> of strawberry fields that he's about to jump oh, and no. in fact makes the plunge jump takes the jump and as as he as he falls towards the ground in slow motion the wind vane on top of the city hall starts to spin yeah in the in the form of sergeant pepper this wind vane with a trumpet and at, and as it spins and spins and spins it materializes into <laughs> billy preston <laughs> Who stops everything and zaps him with his golden tr- zaps zaps Peter Frampton back up onto the thing in reverse. Oh right! And so he, he saves him. Yes, and he just and and, and he starts singing "Get Back" because everyone needs to get back to where they once belong <laughs> because it's very literal this thing. And Deus Ex Billy Preston or Billy Preston Ex Machina, I guess, is really the case. Um, the he he, he puts everything back to normal. Strawberry Fields is alive again. Billy, they're Billy Preston. Oh, really? Band. Okay. Yes, they're even in a new. They're in new shiny white uniforms. Okay. And, 
and uh, the two baddies are turned into a priest and a nun by his zappy thing because <laughs> it's hilarious. And uh, then, the, then the movie comes to an end with this giant chorus of weird, disparate celebrities singing the Sgt. Pepper reprise. Because it's like 77, 78, you so said? It's filmed in 77, released in 78. Okay, so... So this giant chorus of probably 100 celebrities. Really? On on bleacher on risers on the MGM backlot singing with Sergeant Pepper's lonely hearts, <laughs> and it's like it's it's Wolfman Jack, it's Jose Feliciano, it's uh, it's Nona Hendrix, it's Etta James, it's uh, it's Barry Humphreys as Dame Edna, it's wow, it's um. It's like sha na na. It's it's this crazy assortment of just anyone who said yes, apparently. Right. And in just in that that it's little Carol time Channing. Stamp of it's, yeah. yeah. And so it's this weird snapshot yeah. of you know. In fact I even have a friend, Andy Paley. Do you know him? Mm-mm. Uh who was in a band called the Paley Brothers back then, who's in that chorus. <laughs> um and he said it was just a big, you know. Yeah, who knows what we're doing here. Day yeah. That got picked up by limos and taken to MGM. <laughs> Sing a Beatles song for money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know if it was for money. I think it might have been just for, for SAG, for Coke. SAG, SAG Coke, Coke scale. <laughs> <laughs> I think so they had Coke scale. This in is obviously super loopy and weird and a million amazing things to discuss about it. But I'm curious when you first came to it, did you see it? So as here's a child? the thing it is, it is important where I came to it. Okay. Because that's the only way I could have come to it. It was yeah. when I was nine years old. I think it was 1980 okay. on, when we first got cable. At my house. Yeah. And it was on HBO, which came on at 2 p.m. back yeah. in those days. Uh, and it was on a lot. And it was summer. <laughs> and so I watched it a lot. And yeah. I didn't, I was nine. So I, di- I didn't, re- this was really my on ramp to the Beatles. Oh, really? Like, you didn't I didn't realize I this knew, was kind knew, of an affront to the Beatles. This I, was... No, I thought I was at that very innocent, I had that last shred of innocence. And it probably was the last <laughs> shred because by 15, I was a stand up. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. Um, where I was like, I didn't see it as terrible. Yeah. I saw it as this thing, but the music was great. You know, yeah. that's the thing about this thing. You know, every song. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know every song then, but they're all good songs. And people certainly. And they're all covered by, you know, there, there's bad covers and good. There's one really good cover, which is Earth, Wind and Fire doing Gotta Get You Into My Life. Okay. That's probably the best cover. Yeah. But then there's, you know, Steve Ma- Steve Martin does Maxwell Silver Hammer and uh, Come Together is still a good song. Yeah. By Ar- and Aerosmith still a good band. Yeah. You know. And, you know, there's some bad covers. You know, there's George Burns doing, I'm fixing a hole where the rain gets in and stops my mind from wandering. You know? And I think he does benefit of Mr. Kite, too. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, is he Mr. Kite? Did I read that in Wikipedia? Uh, he is Mr. That, Kite, that, yes. So he is playing Mr. Kite. Yes. I will never not For see that. For the benefit of Mr. Kite. <laughs> um, that song changed and so forever it's for me. Like, I think of this as the worst thing the the worst thing i love okay you know so i have this because i spent the summer with it it's there yeah it's it's ingrained it's ingrained in me it's part of of my part of my landscape in my yeah in in my montage of shit yeah um and it did in fact get me into the beatles 
yeah. which I became obsessed with. Okay. In, so I was, legitimately a Be- I was a Beatles fan waiting to happen. <laughs> uh, you know, but I couldn't come on obsessed and go, I mean, the Beatles. It's the Beatles, man. I'm sure someone did and I'm a dick, but okay. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, so so I have, a, I have like it to thank as yeah, well. Yeah. And I even had like this interim thing, which really pissed me off. And I think like almost demanded that I buy Beatles albums was I was at Target with my mom around the same time and there was this record in the discount bin that yeah. was music from the movie Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Oh, wow. Now, it w- and it actually did say on it, I found out later, not the soundtrack from the movie. So this was literally <laughs> just a band that did a bunch of Beatles covers and instead of tagging onto the fame of the Beatles with it, they hitched their wagon to the movie. That's which insane. had had its own soundtrack album. Yeah, that even the B- the Bee Gees disavowed apparently. <laughs> um, so I got home and I was like, and I think my mom was even going, you know, that's not the Beatles. And I'm like, yeah, no, it's the movie, you know. And uh, it's not even the movie. <laughs> right. So it wasn't even the movie. I and I was so pissed off that I went and then I went, okay, well, no one can mess with me if I actually get a Beatles album. There's yeah. no, there can't be fraud here. So I think I bought Abbey Road first, and then I bought Sgt. Pepper. And at that time, did it have a sticker that says it's okay? It's this actually is the, the Beatles. Beatles. Yes, you will be pictures, safe, child. Yes. <laughs> so uh, did you like? Obviously, you have a relationship with. Um, amazingly bad movies from from being around mystery science theater being one of the creators then doing cinematic titanic and i know those are all older movies but i take here's the thing is i take despite those things i'm not a lover of bad yeah i never enjoyed that aspect of mystery (laughs) science theater or cinematic titanic it was it was just simply a vehicle for jokes yeah from the from my where i was coming from okay I, i was too you know i was i was 17 when i did the show yeah or started the show so it's like I didn't have this time to build up this affinity for old kit, you know. I didn't, yeah. you know, when you you don't have time to develop a deep sense of kitsch, you know, yeah. or iron, you know. <laughs> so I just didn't have it, you know. I, and I wasn't someone who watched monster movies or sci-fi. You know, I was I was I was not a sci-fi guy. I was a Star Wars guy. Okay, you know, when I was yeah. a kid, there was like that, but it didn't that didn't push me into more sci-fi. I was a Star Wars guy. It was not a gateway. It was just a it door was, that led to one yes, room. And like, this lo- is a cool room. It was a long tunnel. <laughs> drug, <yes>. Much <laughs> like marijuana it was never a gateway for me, but a long tunnel. Um, um, but so I, I guess what I'm asking is like, where is you grew older? Yeah. Where did you put this movie in terms of relating it to like where it belongs? Is it good? Is it I bad? Think, no, is I it think so I, bad it's good. I adopted it as, as the, that as once I real once I came to my senses, I still kept my love of it, but I but it it became this love of this terrible thing. Okay. And I could then proudly present it to people <laughs> as you gotta see this, you know. Yeah. And you don't feel bad because it's Beatles music. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like that's the safety net of this whole movie. Is that all the songs are solid. Yeah. And you know, despite a couple of bad covers, it's still like you, it's not that thing where you have to sit through a new musical. Okay, yeah. You know? Like, it's not Grease 2. It's right. not, you know. It's not the where, Apple, yeah. Yeah. So, it's like, and most of the movie is wall-to-wall Beatles music. Okay. So, it kind of carries you through. 
all you know all it's it's like a it's like a inner tube ride down a bad river you know? <laughs> okay so it's like this kind of long trippy music video in some ways yeah in many ways and it's not you know it never gets boring because everything is built around songs so yeah. nothing goes more than a few minutes and you know yeah so it's it's easy to watch yeah in its way i mean it's it's not I mean, it's painful because it sucks so bad, and you're just going, "What the fuck?" What? And you just see like almost a cloud of cocaine just around it. I mean, you don't literally, but right. you, you feel it. And it's so, so it ha- you know, so it's easy to hold on to because it's yeah. not it it it's not like a slog, right? But. You know, I can't, I don't recommend it to anyone, you know. <laughs> well, do you show, you said uh, you're excited to point it out to people. Do you I was show like as people? a teenager. I'm not anymore. No, okay. I just, now it's, you know, <laughs> an ironic tweet or something okay. about it. Yeah. But, you know. Do no, you revisit yourself? When I was trying to take on that ironic personality, I right. think I probably that, yeah. you know, was more proud of it. But there's a couple, there's only a couple of movies like that have this, that occupy this space. The other one is Skidoo. I don't know Skidoo. Skidoo is fucking crazy. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I may have to come back for Skidoo. But we, uh, I just showed Skidoo to Kindler on the podcast. We okay. started doing a homework segment where we assign things to each oh, other. Oh, nice. And uh, Skidoo is 1968, I think. Okay. It's Otto Preminger. Oh, damn. That's a, a good filmmaker. Yeah, making a bad film. <laughs> uh, it was Otto Preminger trying to make a youth film. Oh, because wow. apparently Otto Preminger had gotten into acid with Timothy Leary. Okay. So Otto Preminger at this point is in his sixties or seventies, right? Know, and his, and you know, um, but he because of his love of acid, he decided to make this trippy acid movie, and he made this madcap comedy, which stars uh, everyone from Frankie Avalon to Jackie Gleason to Groucho Marx. Oh wow! To Carol Channing. There's our through line between yeah. Sgt. Pepper and him. <laughs> She connects it um, all. You know, and it's and it's like a mob comedy where yeah. Jackie Gleason goes to prison and he actually take accidentally takes acid and and Groucho's a mob boss who's referred to as God who sits on a ship and reads cue cards. <laughs> and, uh, and it's fucking crazy and it's a mess and it's like it's just a generation gap in your face. Yeah. But it's so unbelievable that it's that it is riveting yeah you know? yeah and you know and it's and it's up and you know and harry nielsen does the music which is good and bad and, yeah um but it's it's another one of those things we just go what the fuck happened here <laughs> yeah. you know how did you miss so badly and how was this so ill-conceived in the first place yeah and why is no one there to be able to go and, should we question know, these choices and there's people there's like people acting in nine different movies with their tone in this thing you know? yeah because it's like nine generations of actors you know and it's just, it's a big mess and apparently a preminger like got both gleason and groucho to do acid before doing the movie too uh while they were filming, or I think beforehand, in, I think know. as a way, either either as prep or as in, <laughs> as as a negotiation tactic. <laughs> this is the only way you will do yes. this if you are literally not aware that you're doing it right so now. So I kind of equate these two movies occupy a similar space. Yeah, and, and I came to Skidoo way later. Yeah, life, way so you knew what you were seeing when you saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never had a you know I only had ironic eyes for for Skidoo, <laughs> but I have to admit that I didn't always have ironic eyes for Sergeant pepper yeah because of my age do you uh revisit it now that you're fully aware of what it is i revisited it um 
about a year ago because it came out on DB on Blu-ray on Shout. And, oh, okay. And I have connections at Shout Factory, yeah. and so they sent me one. Oh, they just sent you one. No, now. I asked, but okay, you know, but, <laughs> they just knew but, somehow. But it was an easy get. Okay, fair enough. It was. I think it was like I'll give you mine. Was the response? <laughs> <laughs> we want these out of the building. Um, is the movie openly hostile to the Beatles? I mean, it's such a weird no, thing to it's make not. a. A Beatles movie, I mean, obviously, I know the Beatles had broken up, and I could see just the dollar signs in somebody's eyes going, there should be a Beatles musical, they're broken up fine. Right. But what is the... Well, I mean, I think it became, I think it became hostile. I mean, ultimately, yes, it's a hostile gesture to the Beatles, (laughs) because because you take the hottest band of the day, which was the Bee Gees and Frampton, who were just both huge at the time. Yeah. And the Bee Gees were right off of Saturday Night Fever. Frampton was right off Frampton Comes Alive. Yeah. I and mean, it was like height of both their careers and go, now they're the fucking Beatles, you yeah. know? And apparently I, re- I read in Wikipedia too that Robin Gibb had mouthed off oh, yeah. saying, uh, you know, they, they never, they never, you know, toured live with it and did it. So, but when our thing comes out, it'll be as if Sergeant Pepper never existed. Yes. I wrote that like, down. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> History laughs. So, you know, so if you're going to go for the bad will towards the Beatles, yeah. say some shit like that. Yeah. You know, especially with George Martin there producing it, which is weird. Yeah. So, and they had done apparently a few, Beatles covers for another thing, okay. which I guess gave it the 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 sort of proof of concept yeah. that they needed. Covers but. make sense to me, but I was trying to think of any sort of modern equivalent of this. Like you're saying, these these are the people at the height of their career who you would think would just say like, Let, "We're the Bee Gees. Let's make a right. goddamn we're Bee making Gees a fortune on our publishing." Yeah, like yeah. I don't know modern music enough, so I'll say it this way: It's like you know, if in 1992 Nirvana was like let's make a Guns N' Roses mu- you know musical because they broke up like right. no you, you're like the Beatles aren't that long gone by 1978 right I think it's probably be more like if the Backstreet Boys did uh, did yes that's better you know, the better spacing timelines musical you know yeah like, but even that would still have like then there's enough space there for the Stones to be revered like right. elder states people but i'm just saying that the bgs didn't have any edge to them okay you know oh you mean whereas just like- nirvana had had a had a like the like this wasn't so far afield of the bgs credibility range okay is what i'm saying i mean they had oh, just been okay. saturday night fever and, <laughs> you know there was nothing to alert their their them to this being totally uncool at okay the time, you yeah know? At yeah the, at, in their head this was incredibly cool yeah i guess i'm just thinking you from know? a vanity perspective but, which yeah, i'm used to I artists understand. being like why wouldn't you want to promote yourself uh, yeah i agree music? with that but i think yeah i think it was just hubris, hubris. that said we can do the beatles better than the beatles Oh my god! I really is, think that's what it was. That should be the dictionary definition of hubris. Yeah, is <laughs> the Beaches thing. And, I, and there was Beatles another better. quote on that Wikipedia thing of George <laughs> George Harrison being asked about it, going, "Yeah, you know, it'd be like us doing the Stones. You know, yeah, like, we're the best at being the, you know, yeah. You know, Why would they leave want it to, to be... the people who do it best? Yeah, know? yeah, that is that's insane. Um, I wanted to ask you, and you already kind of brought it up about this idea of the generation gap. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like stuff from the late 70s, early 80s in particular has this super weird tension where they can't let the older forms of entertainment go. Like, you know, the right. way variety shows clung on Absolutely. and the way this was trying to be an MGM movie musical. 
And yet it was so also concerned about the issues of the day of like, is rock the music of the devil? Who's a good rock and roll boy? Who's a bad rock? Like, how do you feel about all that tension? Do you feel like that's unique to that time? Or do you feel like those moments have happened other times? Well, I mean, it's never had. I mean, I'm sure it's happened in painting circles and, you know, in classical musics, you know, I'm sure there were batons that got unwillingly passed. (laughs) Dropped halfway in between. Yeah. But, but it's so, you know, it's so, um, stark. Yeah. When you talk about that era where it, it really is, you know, and there is that, you know, we talk a lot about that new wave of directors that came through, you know, from easy rider on, you know, um, who were, you know, completely trying to buck the system yeah. and who were, you know, actively and vocally trying to, to be anti-Hollywood, Yeah, you know, and this was right when the studio system was ending. And so you feel, you, you know, you really do see, as you said, like those variety shows of the seventies where it's Sonny and Cher, but it's also like English music hall sketches, you know, <laughs> and it just, it doesn't, you know, and that's why like Laugh-In doesn't hold up, yeah. you know, Laugh-In is sort of almost emblematic of what you're talking about yeah. where, you know, it was hit for just that second, you yeah. know, and just because it was different from everything else, but it wasn't that far afield aside from visually, yeah, you know, of what was, what was, had come before it. You yeah. Yeah. They innovated doors a little bit, but besides that, yeah, yeah, I mean the cut, you know, the fast cutting, and you know, and that 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 was innovative, yeah. But what they were cutting between still wasn't wasn't great comedy, yeah. You know, it wasn't an it was an innovation in presentation, but not an innovation in content. I would yeah. Say. So uh, we've talked a little bit about that that uh, the perspective of Frampton and the Bee Gees and all that. Uh, like this movie makes more sense from George Burns's perspective of like. Great. Sure. Uh, you want me to narrate a musical? Sure. Absolutely. It's by those new boys, the Beatles? Fine. Uh, but from again, from like Frampton and Bee Gees perspective, why do you think certain artists just, unlike the directors who just went, no, we're going to make something new. Right. Why do you think that so many musicians kind of tried to make make the past a part of what they were doing? Probably because they couldn't see the future clearly yeah you know i think and and music was like in a in a had gone into a doldrum by 77 i mean yeah 77 was the year where where punk exploded and new yeah. wave started to explode and um you know never mind the bullocks came out and my aim is true came out and all these great albums came out in 77 and blondie and all these um you know that weren't that were pushing back against what that generation gap yeah that combination of young and old had created yeah and just sort of taking the old people out of the equation more, yeah you know <laughs> but you know that the the corporate rock that you know that people talk about that yeah and you can hear you know when you listen to 70s music and you go, oh that must be the corporate rock they're talking about <laughs> um but i think you know i think there's always, you know, I think you always, when you don't know what's coming up, you look back to what inspired you. Yeah. You know? And so I'm sure there was tons of musicians at that point who were just like, do we make a disco record? Yeah. You know? And a lot of them did. The Stones made a disco record. You know, everyone made. Yeah, Sinatra made some disco yeah. tracks. Yeah. Almost everybody buckled thinking that was the next thing. Right. Is, I guess I guess I'm just sort of fascinated with that time where people just couldn't 
had one foot in the future and one foot in the past and just couldn't make sense of it and just right. how well, long I've, it went I've on been and watching how many people it affected. I've been watching a lot of early 70s movies lately, coincidentally, yeah, uh, because of this thing with Kindler that we do. So I've watched Nashville and I watched uh, Harry and Tonto and uh, like Harry and Tonto is really emblematic of that era in terms of post hippiedom. Okay. You know? And I think like Harold and Maude fits into it too, where yeah. it's just like this, like everyone love each other. That shit's out the window. <laughs> As, you know, take love yourself, take care of yourself. Yeah. You know, and it's all about exploring your individuality as opposed to exploring the group. Yeah. You know, and the 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 togetherness. You know, and so all of these those early seventies movies and a lot of these directors that we're talking about. I mean, that was. Uh, um, um, you know, Altman did, did yeah. Nashville and uh, what the fuck's his name? Who did Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice? And uh, um, it's going to come to me at a really inappropriate time. But, <laughs> Shut mo- it out. but whatever the case. Um, so with all those movies, you know, like I said, they're all trying to say, you know, be an individual, be yourself, love yourself, you know, make your own choices. You know, yeah. the, the group is wrong, you know. And th- and I think that's what people were going through. Was yeah. Like, well, no, free love, you know, that's bullshit. You know, everyone gets hurt. You know? <laughs> and then, yeah. You know, and some, getting away from group think a little bit more too. Yeah. Individuality, and moving individuality. from and moving from pot into harder drugs, <laughs> and you know, and becoming the the selfishness that coke brings out even. Yeah. Is, is part of that me thing. You yeah. Know? It's like people, you know, people pass joints, people hoard coke. You yeah. Know? Interesting. And uh, so I think, you know, that whole confusion crept into everything, too. Yeah. You know, where yeah. The, you know, and then Watergate fucked up everything, too, or, you know, so everyone doubted everything. Right. You know, you doubted the, both the culture and the counterculture at that point. You, you yeah. Know, you doubted, you know. You doubted the past and the future. Um, I was going to ask you about that element of it, too, that I was struck when I was reading the Wikipedia that this plot was all about there's good wholesome music and wholesome america and then mean corporate rock and roll and horrible hollywood and success like right which is very similar to the apple which is 1980 just a couple of years later where the music industry music is presented as pure but the music industry is evil and sexual and demonic right why do you think there are these stories where these rising rock bands <laughs> want to criticize everything that sort of makes them what they are culturally well, because because rock and roll is at its very core counter to that. I mean, it's all about cred, really. Yeah. You know, and if you can get a big company to finance your screed against big companies, <laughs> there's something rock and roll about that too. I think. Do you think that's a conscious choice? Where like Aerosmith is signing on to play a band that is literally called the Villains? Are, do you think that there is something where they're like, yeah, of course, this will make us seem like. Sexy demonic bad well, boys. We we right. want to be seen as sexy demonic bad boys. That's the thing is they got out unscathed because of that. Yeah, they really did. You know, they were you know they were they were pretty early in the in the arc of Aerosmith at yeah. that point too. I'm sure there was you know someone trying real hard to get them in the movie. Yeah, you know? in the long hallway of Aerosmith. <laughs> yes, but but because they were able to essentially just go, you know, Aerosmith is 
the embodiment of the you know yeah they could just be Aerosmith right so know. if you don't like so this it's an Aerosmith movie, video you know doing a good <laughs> Beatles song and it, you know aside from the the really bad fight scene yeah that it breaks into <laughs> it's like if you see a clip of you know it's like you could show a clip of each musical number from this thing yeah and Aerosmith would come out unscathed. Okay, you yeah, because they're just being Aerosmith. And Earth, Wind, and Fire gets to be themselves and come out unscathed. Okay. And cool. everyone else has to act as if they're something else. Yeah. yeah. Did this story affect you? I mean, you saw it really young. And the no, story there's no is, story. But, but the, the, I mean, it's preachy moral, right, of that yeah, Hollywood that, is bad. And you were even at nine, you're like, this is bullshit. Yeah, that had, that had no, <laughs> that, that seed had no purchase. <laughs> uh, you know, and I was fairly sophisticated as yeah. a kid. You know, so which you know belies me liking this, but um, you know, I think what I was mostly once leaving it, my takeaway was I like this music. You know? Okay, it wasn't, it, it didn't, it was a collection of music videos to me essentially. Okay, it didn't hold together as a as a uh, as a plot. It's a powerful morality tale, right? <laughs> about the evils of Hollywood. Yeah, and then when you see it, you, <laughs> like you're gonna watch it now. Oh, I'm uh, going to watch it. Are you? Okay. Yeah. Um. I have a whiskey bottle with its name on it right yes. now. Yeah. Uh, no, do some coke. Okay. I think it's time to <laughs> That's what I did when I was nine. So. Uh, have you ever made a different creative choice or a creative choice inspired by this movie in any way? It's been with you since you were young. It's very trippy. I don't know about that. But, I mean, I think it's part of my makeup. Yeah. You know? And I, I, I've always had this fascination and admiration, I think, for really big swings. Okay. You know, things like cop rock. Yeah. You know, where it's not like I watched every cop rock and, no, you know, but I just love that Stephen Bochco took the clout that he had at that moment. Yeah. And put it all down on red on that show. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I love that, you know, because what else is it good for other than, you know, it's good for negotiating more money, but creatively you need cloud and TV to take a risk. Right. And he was like, I've got it. I'm going to use it. Yeah. It's going to suck, you know, but, but, <laughs> but you don't know until knew? you try. Yeah. yeah. And so those sorts of things and like bonfire of the vanities was a great one of those. Cause there was a book about, I think called the devil's candy about the, just the, from ill conception to ill, you know, to ill uh, execution. Yeah. It's a great story of just, wow. What? Why? <laughs> so do you think of that yourself? Do you make active choices to be like, I, you admire big swings, but do you try well, to knowingly take I've, them? I take, I take big personal swings. I'll leave jobs cause I'm bored. And yeah. I'll, you know, I, you know, I'll trust myself to, to make big leaps. You yeah. Know? Um, but you know, creatively, no, I don't, you know, you know, unless you, you know, it depends how much credit you want to give me for Mystery Science Theater. I mean, that's a big swing. <laughs> yeah, you know? absolutely. It was done on a small scale initially, yeah. but, um, but no, you know, I, I, it's, it's aspirational as yeah. much as anything. It's, yeah. it's, um, you know, I come at all the, everything I do in more of a, an artist's head than a yeah. showbiz head. Yeah. Um, which is a pretentious thing to say, but, but it is how I frame the world. You know? Yeah. So I always, I, so I think a lot about, about others projects and what's, what, what is fueling it and what, and decisions and choices that yeah. other people make and other people's taste and, you know, all those things. So, so when I, you know, so it's more just 
there's there's icons yeah. of certain things, and that falls under the icon of like big swings. Big swings, you know? yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense to me, and I will give you credit for uh, uh, big swings in your career. We had a lunch like very soon after I got to Los Angeles, within like the first couple of weeks, and you gave me lots of great advice about your experiences in stand up and your experience is writing for television. And then I I just remembered you being like, but I'm gonna do documentary filmmaking now. Yeah. And I like I was uh, that that gave me a lot of uh, comfort. Because it made Good. me feel like I can change lanes anytime I want if I'm not happy with yeah. the thing I'm pursuing right now or the thing that I'm doing right now. I can always just go like, but I want to do what's over there. Right. And I'm a big believer that, you know, careers are long. You know, I'm in year 32 of my yeah. career that started <laughs> at 15, you know. Yeah. So, you know, unless, you know, if, if your goal is fame and fortune and, you know, and being one of those marquee names than it is a path you have to stay on right more right but if you just want to exist in this world and you know and make stuff you know i mean it helps you know i think i'm good enough so that you know luckily i've gotten paid lots of money to do some stuff yeah you know but then i've laundered that money <laughs> into other stuff you know yeah. and i have a long history of doing that of of you know of taking the filthy lucre and laundering it into something that I genuinely care about. I think that's a great lesson to take from a Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. Yeah, I think the it movie. all came from there. Really, thinking back, that's really where it all teaches came from. teaches you how to launder money. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> We're going to move on to our How Obsessed Are You questions. These are questions that I ask all my guests across all the episodes, uh, kind of different uh, versions of the questions, but basically the same. Do you think about this movie every day? Uh, probably not every day, but probably every month. Okay. Does it just something remind you of it or do you hear a song or what makes it come to mind? Uh, whenever I hear, uh, I'm fixing a hole. It's George Burns <laughs> singing it. Seriously. Even when I hear the Beatles, I picture George Burns singing it. <laughs> uh, that's, that's good. Uh, when people walk into your home, can they tell that you are obsessed with this film? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's hidden. Uh, Although you, there's Beatles. There are Beatles, there's Beatles, there are Beatles items in my home. So. Okay, so well, there are steps towards the mystery right. unraveling. chose to do some sleuthing yeah. ask some questions. <laughs> uh, how do you feel in general about uh, decorating your home with your, your obsessions? Is it like, hey, there's a lot of Beatles. Can I explain it? how your home is? <laughs> there's a lot of Star Wars and Doctor <laughs> yeah, Who. Okay. Yeah, there's no hiding it. Okay, so I got to tread lightly. <laughs> no. No, that's um, part no, of the reason I, I'm curious. You know, no, I think it's just, you know, I think it's fine. I think if it makes you happy, then yeah, decorate your home with it. You know? Yeah, yeah. If you're, you know, if it's embarrassing to you, then don't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, I think, you know, I, I don't, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to, I mean, we have a music room that has, you know, that has pop culture stuff yeah. on it, but it's, I would say, Around the rest of my house, there's not much. I think there's a there's an Annie Leibovitz Blues Brothers okay on a wall somewhere and there's yeah, but you know that stuff that's something I had since I was I think I got from my bar mitzvah that I <laughs> took along with me. Yeah, oh that's awesome. So it's uh, so I I think it's fine. I'm I it's uh, it's I would say it's on a piece by piece basis. Yeah, I'm just you been uh, I've walked into some people's houses and go. I mean, it's a, it's a good way to make, have people make a really snap judgment about you. Yes. You know, but if you can live with that, 
Yeah. You've already invited them to your home, so right. cer- certain filters have already been uh, <laughs> put in place. You're like, please, please judge me fairly <laughs> and kindly. People react to this question uh, in lots of different ways, so I've taken to asking follow-up questions, because some people just react immediately when I ask, like, oh, do you have this uh, thing you're obsessed with? Like, no, I have an adult home with, you know, right. bookshelves and nice things and a coffee table and yeah, no, a plant. Uh, and other people are like, Yes, it, I want it to be wall-to-wall He-Man action figures. Why right. not? And like, I'm fascinated with that, um, just the spectrum in between. I think both are valid choices, I guess yeah. is how I feel. Yeah. And my home is a reflection of both. Cool, cool. Uh, would you ever get a tattoo inspired by this movie? Uh, I would never get a tattoo. Okay. So, um, so no. Okay. <laughs> uh, what if is I your... chose a tattoo, it pro- that would be farther down my list. Okay. What is your uh, what is your no tattoo reasoning? Uh, aesthetically, I just don't like them. Okay. Like on yourself, on others. Uh, well, you know, again, I don't like to be too judgmental, but I don't I don't find them aesthetically. Yeah. I, I find them to be an interruption of the human body as okay. opposed to an enhancement. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I know you're not judging people with tattoos. I know yeah, you're not no. uh, getting out your soapbox and saying tattoos are bad. But. Yeah, so n- they're never pretty to me. Okay, you know, they never they never increase someone's attractiveness to me. Okay, uh, can you imagine any situation in which you would do it? If it uh, would it be a communal thing? Like a lot of times people get no, tattoos no. of like we've finished this amazing event together. and We all want to remember. That would be the last. I mean, that would be the last. I, I, am, <laughs> I am about as low on the joiny scale as you can go. Yeah, that uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I would only get one because I thought I thought I have a great fucking idea for a tattoo. Okay, that I will like for the rest of my life. It's that good an idea. Okay, yeah, so that makes a lot of sense to who you are. If you're like, I have a kick-ass idea. Yeah, then it, it would have to be real. driven by an idea. Okay. Would you make a documentary about this movie since you've become a documentary filmmaker? Um, I mean, theoretically, yes, yeah. I would, but I don't, you know, realistically having, you know, with most of, with two out of three BGs dead and, yeah. and I think Stigwood might be gone and, you know, I would need, I would need some real, um, firsthand things to make it worthwhile. Okay. I couldn't, it couldn't be a, a sort of. It would have. I would have to have access. Right. You can just find it. like the key grip and be like, "This is no, the movie." No, I need to. I need to know how people's feeling. I, I would need to know people's spectrum of feelings from "This is a great idea" to "What are we doing?" to "What the fuck did we do?" <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, if you had a time machine and you could go anywhere, would you use it to go to the making of this film so you could do that documentary? How many stops do I get? You get three. You get three stops. Um. If I liked Coke better, I would. <laughs> Is it just an acceptance that there's no way to be around this film without uh, inhaling some just I would Coke think. I would just think that would be what made it the scene. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I really, you know, it's palpable that that, that you know, that was there. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm imagining a really funny documentary where you ask all these great investigative questions yeah. and it just, the end of it is just like, they were on coke. It they just ends thinking up being, straight. It ends up being like wired by Bob Woodward. <laughs> just, and then he did this. And then he went and did some of this. And then he did this with Penny Marshall. <laughs> Do you feel like that is the ultimate truth since we've wandered in this? That that there's many mysteries of, of a weird film like this? 
but ultimately it was just like people are not using good judgment because of the well, it kind of is and i've done you know i've been on such shitty tv shows too in my life where i know that things just go off the rails you yeah know? and you still have to deliver a product and you you know it's just like if there's bad people at the helm yeah the ship's gonna steer into the shore you know? yeah <laughs> <laughs> fair enough uh I think I know the answer to this question, but I might be surprised. Would you buy action figures of the characters in this movie? Yes, I would. Okay, yes. cool. Did you think I was going to say that? I, yeah, I wasn't sure because I yeah. didn't know exactly how your uh, your obsessions express themselves in merch. Uh, well, because of this, because of I did buy the novelization of this. Oh movie, wow, which is crazy because there's no words. <laughs> there's in no it. words. Yeah, so, so it's all description. It's is all it really? Weird. Yeah, it's weird and just yeah. They didn't write dialogue for the characters. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> so it's still George Burns describing it's, it. It's no, it's the narrator. <laughs> it's as if the author becomes George okay. Burns and describes everything. And, and literally, like he, they describe the last, the you know, the chorus that I told you about. Yeah. And there's like eight pages of just celebrity names, and it's just like <laughs> at the end, you know, it's joined by a chorus of people. People like dot dot dot, and then there's eight pages of celebrity <laughs> names, and they aren't relevant to who's there yeah. in the movie. It's just like. This magical thing happened in Pepper in Heartland. There's still not because it's a any novel. narrative reason why well, no. stars of 1977 are no, all. But it's just it was just it was the most cynical piece of the whole marketing package. Yeah. was the novelization of the movie. I think. How did you come about that? Did you just eBay. find it? Oh, you eBay, you yeah. sought it. It was out. recent. Yeah. Okay. Within the past five years. Did you know it existed, or did I you just no? I mentioned the movie on Twitter or something, and someone said uh, there was a novelization, and I was like. Shoop! <laughs> it must be mine. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but you would buy action figures as well if they produce the yeah, George Burns as yeah. Mr. Kite sure. fully posable. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, up to you know, I wouldn't pay a hundred dollars for a George Burns. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but within if reason. I could get a, a full set for under a hundred dollars, yeah, okay, I'd buy it. In general, do you express uh, your interest in things with like merch purchases? Is that a no, way that you express not. your your no. love of things? No, I'm not a I'm not a big uh, um, hat or t-shirt where you know. Yeah, yeah, it's more experiential. Like you just want to experience the thing. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Okay, cool. Why? Why then? Are I you did like, as a kid. That was. I mean, when I went to a concert, that you bought the t-shirt. That was the reason to oh, go to, to get the, the t-shirt. Yeah, I mean, without the t-shirt, why? Why <laughs> would you have? Why would you have gone without being yeah. able to broadcast that you went to that concert? It's a part of the deal, right? So but what, I don't have that anymore. If you, if that's not your natural inclination, why did? Why was your answer immediately yes to action figures of this movie? Is it just to be closer uh, because, to no, this film? Just ironic love. Okay, you know, yeah. That the makes conversation sense. piece without making people watch the movie. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you can act it out for them now. Yeah. I mean, you know, I wouldn't seek them out, but if they came across my radar. And yeah. I, really? All right. Why does this matter? If, if I was shopping yeah. at Wacko. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I want these action figures now. I, I imagine they exist. I want like Peter Frampton to have like punching action, like he squeezes legs and punches yeah. for the big fight scene. Uh, would you go to a Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, the movie convention? Um, for the doc, I would. Okay, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to cover these people. Yeah. But uh, as somebody who is a self-proclaimed not joiner, do That's conventions why. weird you out? They do. Yeah, they do. Cosplay kind of weirds me out. Okay, conventions. And, you know, and I had to go to a lot of them when I was in Cinematic Titanic. Yeah, and stuff. but um, do they weird me out? No, but they have no appeal to me. Okay, you know, I, I mean, I don't have. I mean, I have a little bit of scorn, I guess, for. <laughs> 
for adult people in costumes, but um, but it's not it's not total dismissal yeah. of the person. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. You know? uh, what was it like for you uh, doing them in, when you had to for cinematic Titanic? What about the experience? Like, I, I understand that like you want to go and experience the thing yourself and maybe talk to other people kind of one-on-one. Right. So maybe the whole big group thing is you feel a disconnect. What is, what is the feeling? Well, I mean, I guess I, f- I feel a disconnect with a lot of things. Okay. <laughs> um, Generally, when I go to this, I'm I'm supposed to be a celebrity. Yeah. And I know I'm not, you know. So, you know, if you put me at an autograph table, I'm suddenly the worst animal at a bad zoo, you know. <laughs> so, you know, so the, the it hurts my self-esteem partially, okay. you know, because you're being elevated as a celebrity yeah. by the system. And yet there's still, you know, it's still like. I like the other servo better and I like being, you know, and, you know, and, and you don't want to piss on people's fandom. Right. You know, especially when it's fandom of your thing. Yeah. But you know, it feels like, it feels like I have, it's, it's a, uh, forced, a forced servitude. Okay. You know, it's, I appreciate that people appreciate this thing. Yeah. But I can't get, I can't embrace uh, life-based fandom yeah um about one thing okay especially you know yeah just because i don't like one thing that you know okay so much more than everything else so when somebody would approach you and say like msd3k is my whole life you like your natural instinct is to say you should in- be interested in other things as well but you don't uh, well yeah i mean my natural instinct isn't to give them any advice whatsoever okay. <laughs> you know my natural instinct is to go Wow, that's amazing. Thank you. That's very yeah. cool, you know. And if it gives them joy, it is very cool. Yeah. I don't relate to that. Okay. I, that but, makes sense. But I totally I'm a big I'm a big proponent of find your fucking bliss and yeah. lick it on up cuz <laughs> life is hard, you yeah, know. Absolutely. So if you know, I totally I have a very wide berth spiritually. Yeah. Um it's an intellectual disconnect. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. You know? Um I've certainly done some conventions when I was doing like uh, more comedy at conventions where they'd be like, you can do your show and then also you can have this booth to sell things. Right. And like, I, I didn't like doing that because it's like, no, I people will buy my album immediately after they see me perform because they're invested in Cinematic Titanic. me. So I know what you're talking about of that, like feeling like you're in a little bit of a, a fishbowl or kind of trying to say something about yourself that isn't true. Um and I understand, again, and I don't have scorn for the other celebrities who are getting 80 bucks for their photo. Yeah. You know, God bless them for getting that and an appearance fee. Yeah. But like, I went to a place to Dragon Con years yeah. ago. Um, and I have a long story about it because, but <laughs> because it's, Dragon but my Con. point here is, uh, you know, and I'd said, I don't want, I don't want a booth. Yeah. You know, and they were using it as a carrot to get me there. And I was like, you know, we'll do, I'll do the cinematic Titanic thing and we'll sell our DVDs there, but don't give me a booth. Cause I don't want to sign. Yeah. I don't want to sit there. I hate that feeling. Yeah. It's the worst feeling. It's the worst kind of, it's so, it, it just feels so needy. Yeah. But it's something I don't need. Yeah. You know what I mean, so I'm put in this position and it's like, you know, there's plenty of narcissists who love the attention, yeah. you know, it's, you know, and I don't mean even narcissists 
in the pejorative way. Yeah. It's like part of being a celebrity and a star. And most of these people are actors and I'm more of a writer than an actor. It's like, yeah, it's you lap that shit up. Your psyche wants it and needs it. So it's not just the 80 bucks. It's the actual energy coming from people that you are energized. Reminded by. that you made I'm a not, positive impact on people's lives. Yeah, yeah. And they actually take energy from it. And I get drained by it. OK. You know? And so, you know, I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to parse all this without sounding like I'm aloof and arrogant about it. You're not sounding like that. Um, but I just, you know, it's 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 all about the work for me, and it's it's I've I've so divorced myself from the results end of it. Yeah, that it it's. Uh, I mean that I mean that's 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 further than is true. I still yeah. my ego still likes praise. Of course, know? yeah. I still you know, but I want it on my terms. You know, <laughs> I guess is that's yeah. the arrogant part. Yeah. Um, so when we go, I got into trouble for giving away my autograph at the autograph table at Dragon Con. At Dragon Con, because it ruins the economy, right? Exactly. Okay. He literally said, "You'll make everyone else look bad," and I'm just like, "Well, if, <laughs> if giving my autograph to someone for free it makes me the asshole, then <laughs> I'm going back to the bar now." Because <laughs> they called me, I, I you know, yeah. they set up this booth, and I said, "I don't want it," but then they called me and started guilting me about not being there. Yeah. You know, as if there was like a line waiting yeah. for me to show up. There was no line. There was no line <laughs> at all, you know. And we didn't have any merch left. Yeah. And so you want me to just go sit there and try to peddle my autograph? Yeah. And then no one comes to my table for a half hour because they have no fucking idea who I am. Yeah. Because I used to sit under a table with holding up a fucking gumball machine, and you put my, you know, and yeah. and my booth is my name on a card with a safety pin on a curtain when everyone else has like thirty five action poses from their biggest thing, and it's not even my name from the show because yeah. I was Josh Weinstein when I did Mystery Science Theater, and there's yeah. like J. Elvis Weinstein taped to a curtain, and yeah. Why am I here? And then that happened. Like, okay, someone finally recognized me. Came over and said, "Hey, can I have your autograph?" I'm like, sure, sure. And then I saw what you did. He comes over. <laughs> I was like, "What did I do?" <laughs> All right, you have very good reasons for having uh, <laughs> complex opinions about all these things. So, um, and there was also just—I mean, again, this is an ego thing. Where when it, when it was the five of us of the Mystery Science Theater people, yeah, Cinematic Titanic, it was Joel Hodgson, Trace Bleu. Frank Conniff, Mary Jo Peel, and me. So I am like the least beloved of those people. And people show that on their face, you know? Yeah. So it's not like I'm offended by it. You know, that's their actual feelings. But but 300 people after a show come by, excited, excited. Oh, hi, could you sign? Yeah. <laughs> just, you start, you become a disappointment. Yeah. And then it's really just like, what the fuck am I doing here? You yeah. Know? Okay. I, I understand that. I mean, you must have gotten like some amount of positivity from people who knew Cinematic Titanic, right? I got tons, of it. I got tons right? of it. And I love those fans. Yeah. And, you know, God bless them uh, for it. It's it's very subtle ego things that aren't their fault. Yeah. That I'm just an extremely perceptive person. You know? Yeah. And behavior is what I tune into. That all so. makes a ton of sense. <laughs> Uh, moving on with our how absurd are you questions? Uh, if the only way you could ever see this movie again was stealing a copy from Target, would you do it? I would not. Okay, just <clears throat> just because uh, you're anti theft. Just because I was raised right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you would be okay. Like I'm never going to see this again unless yeah. I do something. No, I've criminal. seen it enough. Okay. You know? <laughs> well, this is the the good part of loving something that's not that great. You're like I've seen it. It's I there. got it. It's blazing. It's emblazoned. <laughs> There's certain things. Like I can I can hear a whole beat. I can hear an entitled Beatles track in my yeah. head. I can hear it fully. 
exactly as it exists on the record. Okay. So do I need to listen to the record again? I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly don't need to steal it. Uh, kind of the flip side of that, if someone you loved was trapped on a desert island, yeah. you couldn't rescue them, but you could magically deliver them one movie. Would you give them this movie? Uh, it's someone I love, you said? Yeah. Then no. <laughs> <laughs> would you try to give them uh, what you think is like a good movie, or is it? Uh, uh, would you give them... I would give them... Yeah, I would try to figure out what's the what what movie is uh, dense, nutritious, <laughs> uplifting, and worthy of many viewings. Okay, because okay. You keep catching things, right? Because this is this movie enough of an enigma that it would uh, keep people's minds full trying to figure it out. Um, probably not. <laughs> probably not you know better yeah. minds than mine no okay. probably not you know people who are healthy yeah no. okay uh so steve martin's in the movie we haven't talked about he as is. much uh which is uh, it's just it, because it was 1977 and he was in everything yes legally he had to be in every movie right. he was made. big i think yeah. it was actually pre-jerk oh well, right. right i think it was like height of his popularity but before his movie popularity okay so even more rare that he yeah. was on screen if Steve Martin announced he was making a sequel mm-hmm. and he was doing a Kickstarter, yeah, would you back Steve Martin's Kickstarter for a sequel to this movie? Yes. Wow. Yes, cool. I would. Yeah. Are you, is it just because you're curious of what yes. it could and possibly Martin, be? Sure. And Steve Martin? Yeah. Sure. Help him out. Again, I believe in the big swing. <laughs> and that is a really, really <laughs> big swing, Steve Martin. All right. Here's the final How Obsessed Are You question. If you were going to see this movie on the big screen... But a bear was blocking your way into the theater. Would you try to get around the bear? Um, I would try, but not necessarily hard. Okay, a little would, little yeah, dodge here, a little dodge the, there. I would do the like throw food to my left, like <laughs> really fast, and yeah. see if he went for it. Yeah, I may have one more move, and then I go, hmm, all right. <laughs> <laughs> that seems be, to sum up. Your is there a nine o'clock little... show? Because there's a bear here for the seven. <laughs> there are a lot of logistical problems with this question, <laughs> right. uh, but I get out a lot out of people's immediate. Uh, gut would answers. I wrestle the bear? Probably not. But not would wrestling. I try to? Would I try to craftily get it out of yeah. my way? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Have you ever seen this movie uh, in a, on the big screen? In I the have theater? not. It's a little bit of a hole in my okay. resume. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have that desire to see it? With a whole audience and see how they respond. You know, it, that's a very good question because it 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 butts up against my joiny thing. Yeah, you know, like I don't think I think I think being in a group of people who love this movie would diminish my love for it. Okay, <laughs> that's how fucked up I am. Yeah. What if it was more from a scientific perspective and it was they were watching and you were in the back with yeah a I could I mean if I sat up a screening for that documentary we're talking yeah. about <laughs> I could see you doing that okay that yeah. makes a lot of sense about why you've uh, drifted towards being a, a documentary filmmaker or made I, the big swing I, I'm an observer That's, yeah that, I, my basic wiring is to observe everything yeah. around me in great detail that's really cool uh, I asked everyone to make a noise to sum up their obsession what kind of noise do you have uh, for this movie how it makes you feel or um, I think it would be like, huh? <laughs> this is a sort of Scooby-Doo, very <laughs> right. entertained and confused at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> or, um, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I could hear the different, the reaction to the film itself and then enjoyment of the music. 
There you go. Yeah. Yes. That's <laughs> perfectly broken down. <laughs> I ask everyone to rate their obsession a uh, scale of one to 10, one being the lowest, 10 being the highest. How obsessed do you think you are? Um, well, it, within the context of an obsessed podcast, I would put it at like a. Like, well, I don't know, maybe an eight just because it was the first thing I yeah. put on the list to you. I mean, yeah. Uh, though I was looking for offbeat choices. <laughs> yes. Uh, in real life, it's it's a five. It's a five. It's a five. So like Beatles are an honest like. Beatles are, yeah. And, do you, and where, where do you rate yourself uh, uh, on that? Uh, I would put the Beatles, I mean, in terms of just. I can't say obsession, but true, pure love. I'd yeah. put them at an eight or nine, you know, with Elvis Costello and a few others. Okay, cool. So in general, you don't see yourself as a obsessive person. You like things and you... I'm not an obsessive person. Yeah. I have too much ADD to be a truly obsessive person. <laughs> you like too many different things to uh, spend Well, yeah, and I literally have too much ADD. Like, okay. I do not have an attention span for things for very long. Okay. I'm a more of a take a fast, deep dive soak it all up move on to the next thing okay that that, makes... like that's how skidoo was for me okay like, like you want to know everything about it for a month this movie was the center of my universe <laughs> and then time to move on yeah okay that's very cool uh can you tell people anything you want to plug and where they can find you on social media uh i will plug uh first the movie available on amazon prime i need you to kill Check that out. It's also available if you don't have Amazon Prime for rental on iTunes and Google and all those other platforms. Uh, my podcast with Andy Kindler is called Thought Spiral. It comes out Mondays where all your finer podcasts are sold <laughs> or given away. And uh, my biggest, uh, both on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at J. Elvis Weinstein. Nice, nice. Here's some quick plugs for this show, and then we'll do our final questions. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook is at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host that is called Four Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com. And you can support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. All right, here are some final questions that don't have anything to do with the main topic. Just weird fun. If a statue of you was made in your honor to be put in like a public place, like a park or something, what would you want your pose to be? Um, probably a stand-up pose. Okay. Yeah. Does that just probably feel like Mike in hand? Mike in hand. Yeah. I mean, no matter what I do, I my basic self-identification is as a comic. Okay. Like I feel like I'm a comic directing a movie when I direct a movie. You know? Really? Yeah. Is that just because you started so young? I think so. Yeah. And it's the people. It's they're my people. Yeah. You know, when I hang out with actors or musicians, they're not my people. Okay. Comics are my people. Is it just the shared experience of being on the road doing that art? No, I think it's just a a view of life that that everything is funny and serious simultaneously. Okay. Um, You know, there's generally less, you know, a lack of pretension and and a lack of tolerance for small talk among comics. (laughs) And I have none. Okay. so I don't know, just, and the fun, just the funny. I grew yeah. up. I grew up in a really funny house, um, with like no boundaries if a joke was good. You yeah. Know? So and that's that's the kind of people comics are. You know? Yeah. And it's like in my house, everything was funny at the same time it was dramatic. And yeah. So, and you didn't separate the two, and you know, all you did was find the appropriate time to express it. You know? <laughs> but there was all you know, like a good joke could change the tone of everything in my house. And my yeah. mom was mad. 
you know, but a bad joke could send it the other direction. Okay. You know? It could escalate. You know? <laughs> That's so, really cool. So it was a high, it was a high, um, a high bar. And, you know, so. Yeah. And comics most mirror that. Yeah. That, the that environment dynamic. I grew up in, you know. Yeah, I I definitely feel that of being on stage of like this could go higher and higher and higher or it could all fall apart. Yeah. And you are only as good as your abs- your last laugh. Not even your last show. Right. The last laugh you right. got. And it could change any time. Uh, that's really cool. If you could run at super speed but only between your home and one other place, where would you want to be able to run to? Grocery store. Okay. Yeah, I would <laughs> use that the most. Yeah, just very practical. Yeah. Yeah. Do you cook a lot? I do. Okay. I mean, less and less over the years, but I do. I'm, I consider myself a, a an able cook. Okay, cool. The final question for everyone on the podcast is: What is happiness? Uh, happiness is um, is being interested as much of the time as you can be in what you're doing. Yeah, just being engaged, like truly, honestly engaged. Yeah, yeah, and cool. Not, and not being, not having boredom forced upon you. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like you have been uh, successful in your life in your career that you've you've got to direct a lot that I've been shockingly successful yeah. in, in quilting together a living that I could uh Yeah. Um and and I and I feel like I've made uh I mean when I say shockingly successful I mean only in terms of happiness yeah. not in terms of my uh my uh um impact on the industry. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of um, trusting myself to make choices directed towards happiness instead yeah. of uh, material success, yeah, uh, I'm I'm pretty proud of myself that that I've always trusted myself to make those leaps and and not panic, yeah, much. <laughs> well, that is a great answer to what is happiness. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, that is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories. With Thanks for joining us. I'm so glad we brought peace back to Heartland.